as we have sang songs of worship to you, Lord God, reminding us of the precious, precious, holy, and powerful blood of our Savior Jesus. God, we thank you so much that your blood never fails, Lord God. Your love never fails us, God. We thank you today because we can rest in that reality. And so, Lord, as we continue in the book of Romans, as we continue building the foundations of our faith today, I ask you, Lord, that you would allow us to hear from you clearly, that you would allow us to internalize these truths and that we would live from the place of truth, Lord God, from your glory and or for your glory and for your honor, God. We thank you so much today for the opportunity we have to hear your word, God, and be together in this place. God, be glorified in these next few moments. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand. We want to be sure that you get an outline, that you're able to um, follow along in the introduction of the sermon. As always, um, we want you to take notes. And the reminder that I give you weekly is you and I are disciples of Jesus. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are supposed to be helping others grow in their faith. And so one of the ways that you can do that is by simply sitting down with someone and having some conversations with them over coffee, over whatever, and just go over what you're learning in the scriptures. That's the easiest way to ensure that you are helping someone else grow in their faith. And you can use the outlines here to help you remember what you've learned. And so um, I want to apologize up front for my voice. I don't know. Y'all pray for me. Um, the, 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 this thing is, is, is really bothering me. So um, I don't know what it is. I thought I was okay. And then um, like two days ago, it just went, it went away. And so, you know, as a preacher, you need a voice. So I'm going to push through, but I, I pray that you'll bear with me um, on that. But if you look at your outline here, um, some things can seem too good to be true. How many would say amen to that? Yeah, yeah, you ever heard a deal that seemed too good to be true, like it sounded too good to be true? You know, like that miracle pill, you know, they try to sell you all the time, that you just take this, you ain't got to change your diet, you ain't got to exercise, and all of a sudden, you're going to look like this person. That's a lie. I want you to know that. That is for sure too good to be true. Are you here? I know some of y'all just got upset. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But hey, if you found that pill, hook a brother up, you know what I'm saying? I want to I wanna eat like an animal and never exercise again and look like, you know, whoever. Anyway, you, you, you figure it out. But nonetheless, some things can seem too good to be true. While we would all agree with the statement that our wonderful Pastor Aldo has kind of coined in this place, if it's free, there you go, you got that. If it's free, you, you, would, you would enjoy that. But we would all probably agree with the statement, there is no such thing as a free lunch. We'd agree with that, right? Like, like I may be eating that free lunch, but somebody paid for it. Right? So at the end of the day, there's no such thing as a free lunch, which is why our cynicism kicks in when, when, when we are offered a deal that looks or sounds too good. And the reality is that the gospel is no different. Now, if you look at your outline there on the first page, you'll see that we are in, we are moving into the third section of the book of Romans. This is the portion that deals with salvation, and it is righteousness declared. And so, we did the introduction, and in the introduction, we talked about what this book is all about and the, and, and, the, and the welcome and the greeting from the apostle to the church in Rome. And then the next part that we went through for the last few weeks, from the end of chapter 1 all the way to the first half of chapter 3, the apostle Paul dealt with unrighteousness. He dealt with the demands of righteousness, and it was very depressing, depressing, very discouraging, almost breathtaking in some moments when we think about the sinfulness 
that dwells inside of all of us. The wretchedness that is there. And I want to repeat this just to be clear. The apostle didn't flinch in speaking to the church about their sinfulness. Are you here? He didn't say, well, you know, you guys have already confessed your sins. You guys have already professed their faith in Jesus. So you don't need to hear about your sins anymore. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We need to be reminded of our sins so we can also be reminded of the amazing power and the wonder of our Savior. And the third portion of, or the third section is what we're going to deal with starting today. And we'll deal with in the next, over the next few weeks. And it is righteousness declared. And from chapters 3, verse 21 to chapter 5, verse 21, we're going to talk about justification stated, justification illustrated in Abraham, and justification explained in Adam. And so today is a moment that we get to breathe. Hallelujah. We get to just say, God, thank you so much. And listen, for me, the, believe it or not, this is a tough message for me to preach. Not just because I can't talk today, but because I always want to make sure you know you are responsible to live for God's glory. And, and, and that doesn't, I don't want to take away from that. And at the end, we'll wrap up around that, around that point as well. But here's what I want you to realize is that God wants us to rejoice in the power of what Jesus did. He wants us not just to rejoice in it, he wants us to rest in it. He wants us to rejoice. I mean, listen, you got to think about this for like, you know, three chapters almost. We were beat up, right? I mean, we were hearing the, the hammer was coming down about how sinful we are. And now God goes ahead and transitions through the Apostle Paul to let us know about this good news. And so sometimes, and what I'll talk about today is a message entitled, Too Good to Be True. And there's a question mark there because is it too good to be true, what the, what the Apostle Paul says. And so if you look there, back at your outline, the gospel is no different when it comes to this offer that can appear to be too good to be true. It offends us. Why? Because we think we're good enough and really don't need saving. Or it brings out the skeptic thinking, this has to be too good to be true. This can't be, this, this can't be it. This can't be all that God requires of us. And this is yet exactly what God communicates to us. I want you to think about this. A growing faith embraces and experiences good, God's goodwill toward us. A growing faith embraces and experiences God's goodwill toward us. If you, if, you, if you see there this definition of grace, and there's many definition of, definitions of grace. It's God's unmerited favor, and we could go through the technical definition. This is a definition that is taken that it encapsulates everything that has been communicated and what grace really is. <clears throat> and what grace is, is it is goodwill, listen to this, freely disseminated by God, especially to the benefit of the recipient, regardless of the benefit accrued to the disseminator. Did you get that? It is goodwill freely disseminated by God. He is freely giving us something. This is something to rejoice about. This is something we can get excited about. But when we look at grace, it is also especially to the benefit of the recipient, regardless of the benefit accrued to the disseminator. I want you to know, you and I don't give God anything great in return for the grace that he gives us. Are you here? We are the ones who receive the most. We are the ones who get the most out of this deal. He doesn't go and he's not saying, well, you know what? I'm going to give you more grace because you give me something. That isn't, that isn't how God operates. God gives us his grace because he loves us, period. That's the beauty of this. 
And growing faith embraces this truth and not just embraces it here and not just embraces it here, but also experiences this God's goodwill toward us. And this begins in the place of salvation. It's rooted in the place of salvation. I want you to understand that this goodwill toward us is that God does not want to bring his wrath upon us. Are you here? He doesn't want to pour his wrath upon us. God doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked according to the Old Testament. The reality is God sent his son. Jesus came to this earth to die so that we would not have to suffer God's wrath. We can experience God's goodwill. It doesn't mean that life's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean the situations aren't going to be difficult. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is that, that beginning with salvation, God wants to demonstrate. He wants, to, he wants for us to experience his goodwill toward us. And it overflows into the other areas of our lives as we walk in obedience to his word. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, where we fall short, God never fails. Where we fall short, God never fails. And so we look at these verses, chapter 3, and we look at verse, verse, from verse 21 all the way down. And so after spending some time, and we just talked about this a little bit, an effort establishing the equal sinfulness of Jews and Gentiles and the just judgment of our sins, the apostle begins to unfold the best news ever. This is the type of news that is sometimes hard to believe. Many scholars believe these 11 verses, think about this now, what I'm about to say. People who have studied this Bible out, who have gone through all 66 books, who have looked at all of the different texts that there are there, many of these scholars believe that these 11 verses are the most important in the entire New Testament. These 11 verses, this is what many scholars believe, that these 11 verses are potentially the most important verses in the entire New Testament because of what they communicate for us, because of the hope that we receive, because of the understanding of what Jesus has done for us. They say this. And so let's look at this for a moment. Let's unpack this a little bit. He says, but now, after all this, after everything has been said, about your sinfulness, about everything that has been said, about your unrighteousness, about everything that has been said of your worthiness of God's wrath. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Now listen to that. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed in Christ Jesus. This righteousness that is not tied to the law. This righteousness that is out that that is that is greater than the law is being revealed to us. And he says this, which is so important, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so again, he points where? He points to the Old Testament. He points to the books of the Bible. When the Bible speaks of the law, what is he talking about? What is God speaking of? When it speaks of the law, it is speaking of the first five books of the Bible. And when it speaks of the prophets, it's speaking of everything else in the Old Testament. So everything else that you see in the Old Testament that is there, whether it's a book that has to do with the history, whether it's a book that has to, that, that is poetic, whatever book it is, those would fall under the context of the prophets. And what Paul is saying is that they have witnessed this righteousness because God, and next week you're going to, we're going to see when we look at Abraham, you're going to see how God is always, now listen to this, God has always desired, and, and he actually designed it this way, to justify us by faith, not by works. Are you here? He has always designed, before the law was ever written, God's way of justifying us was through faith. For us having faith in Christ was the way that God is going to justify us, that God is going to do this. And so again, he goes on to say, but now the righteousness of God 
apart from the laws revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And he goes on to say, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, he goes back to us having faith, which is which is what gives us God's righteousness in the place of justification. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Again, God is able to justify us by faith, every one of us, whether Jew or Gentile. Why? Because there is no difference. And he goes on to say this, and you guys know this verse by heart. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God justifies us all the same way because what? Because we have all sinned, right? Every one of us is guilty of sin. Listen, no matter how good we may think we are, we're all guilty of sin. But not just that, but we all fall short of God's glory. Every one of us falls short of God's glory. Therefore, what? The only way that we can be justified is not by ourselves. It's not by our adherence to the law. It is by something. It is by the righteousness of God that has shown that God never wanted us to fail. God never desired us to fall short. God never desired us to experience his wrath. God wills for us to what? To experience his righteousness, his justification that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. I read this and when I read this particular quote, I thought it was really good for you guys and gals that like poetry, you may enjoy this. And speaking of this, this portion of scripture, in a sphere different from that in which the law says, do this and live. So the old covenant told us what? Do this and live. Do what God says and you will live. Do what God says, you will live. That's what the old covenant under the law tells us. And he says, but it reminds us of these words. Do this and live, the law commands, but gives me, gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. You see, the gospel does something that the law could never do. The gospel does something that the law, see what the law does, it tells you how to live, but it doesn't empower you to live that way. The gospel, on the other hand, faith in Christ empowers us to live, empowers us to do, and takes us beyond where we think we can be. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, his unfailing love, his unflinching commitment to redeem his people who all sin and fall short of his glory. In spite, now think about this, in spite of the curveballs, in, in spite of all of the difficulties that life may throw our way, you and I must trust God's goodwill toward us that is rooted in his work and offer of salvation. When we look at this work of salvation, when we look at this righteousness of God, when we look at God's righteousness, what we have and what we understand is, look, I can trust God's goodwill for all of my life because of God establishing his goodwill toward me in the place of salvation. I can have a relationship with God and I can trust his goodness because of what he reveals to me in his righteousness because of what Jesus has done for us. Which brings us to our second point. Say this with me. And there's a little change here because in your outline it says everything. But instead of everything, it is going to be the word the most or the two words the most. And the reason that I changed those words is because to say it costs God everything means like God went bankrupt. God never went bankrupt. God, God can't go bankrupt because he is God. But what I do understand is this, and so say this with me, what costs God the most, he offers us freely. What costs God the most, he offers us freely. 
God's mercy is so, so great. Let's look at what he says in verse 24 to 26. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness righteousness that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ freely he said freely we are given this justification justification means what it means right standing with God so if you're taking notes if you don't know what that word means justification means right standing with God when we come and we put our faith in Jesus you know what happens God gives us a right standing with him he makes us righteous before him this is a beautiful thing he washes us clean that's what he does in justification and how does he do it he does it freely Listen, this, this is important for us to grasp. This is not something, see, for us, I know for me, I want to earn my stuff. I, I, I want to earn my righteousness. I want to feel righteous. Are you here? <laughs> I want to feel righteous. I want to feel like I can say, yes, I'm walking in righteousness. You and I can never do that. Not to the degree that God would say, yes, you are 100% righteous on your own. No, Freely, he does something for us we can never do for ourselves. This is great to consider everything that Jesus has done for us. Freely, we are given a right standing with God. If only what? If we believe. It's by faith. It's by faith that we are given a right standing with God. It is by faith that we are given a right. And listen, you may struggle with belief in this age of skepticism, but the law and the prophets of old, they foretold this. Think about that. Paul says that. We just talked about that in the other verses. Paul said it clearly. He said that the prophets of old, they foretold this. They, they, they witnessed this. They spoke of this righteousness that we are supposed to embrace today. And, the, and remember, again, the people that, that, that were there, the Jews that were there, they were like, wait a second. We're Jewish. We're this. We're that. They had all of these things they wanted to brag about. And we'll talk about that in the next point. But the reality is, is that Paul is driving home the point. There is one thing that is required for you and I to be righteous and it is faith in Jesus it is faith in God's promise it is trust in what God has done see the thing is this is that our God the father he held nothing back in sending his son he gave the most Jesus the son he held nothing back in coming and giving his life he gave the most and the Holy Spirit is still working righteousness in us and also he is still convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment for what so the way they can know that there is one way for them to be made right and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ and so I want to get technical for a moment here and so there's a picture that I have that it is of the Ark of the Covenant. And so the reason why I want you to look at this is because there's some words here that a lot of times that we don't necessarily know what they mean. We hear them. And so I'm not going to ask you if you understand that. I'm going to pretend like everybody doesn't understand this word. And you know what? You can just, if you understand the words better than me, praise the Lord. I'm doing it for myself. Amen. I'm doing it for me. Right. Because when we think about this one word, propitiation, 
right? We understand the word redeem because, you know, we redeem coupons and stuff like that. And so we understand the price being paid. When it says that we're redeemed, it means there was a price that was paid. And Jesus paid that price for our salvation. But when we look at this word propitiation, this is a different word. And I want you to understand this word clearly because I think that this becomes so very important. And so when you look at this word, the word propitiation is also utilized in the book of Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 14, which is the reason why we have this picture of the Ark of the Covenant. Because in the book of Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 14 there, the word is called mercy seat. And so when you look at it in some of your Bibles, if you have like little notes or whatever, some of your Bibles have, a, have a, a letter and then you go down to where that reference is at and it says mercy seat. And the reason why is because it is pointing back to this particular thing. And so I'm going to read some of this to you because I want you to hear this. And so it's, reverting to the, it's referring to the golden ark of the covenant. Now think about this for a moment. Inside of the ark, below the cover, there were tables of stone upon which were written the Ten Commandments. So think about that. When you think about the Ark of the Covenant down here, right, in this area where it's talking about the, the Ark of the Covenant, down here under this mercy seat, there are, the, there, there are the Ten Commandments are sitting there looking up, right? And so it's looking up this right here, this area where the mercy seat is. That's the place of judgment, right? That's the place where God is going to declare his judgments. And so what is happening here is that you have the Ten Commandments there, which Israel had violated before the Ark also stood the high priest. And so there was a high priest who was standing before the ark who represented the people. And so you have, now think about this for a moment. You have the Ten Commandments that are sitting down under here. If this was the ark, you have the Ten Commandments that are sitting under here. And they are looking up. And we are violators of those law. Looking at the judgment seat. On this side of the judgment seat is the one that is representing us. We are the violators of God's law. You're getting the picture. And so there's a symbolism that is here. And so what is happening is we are guilty. God's judgment should come to to us. But what happens is in that day, there was something that occurs on, the, on that particular time is that the priest, and if you read it on your own, you'll see that the priest, he sprinkled blood upon the particular mercy seat. And when he does that, that mercy seat ceases to be a place of judgment and it becomes a place of mercy. Are you here? Because now what he does is now you have the laws of God that we have violated. You have the judgment seat that is there against us. You have the people represented here that are worthy of judgment. But there is something that comes in between God's judgment and God's people. And at that time, it's the blood of this bull. Today, it's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Christ that comes toward us. The reason why this is so important to understand this is because when you look at those days, this word propitiation, and, and this, is, this, this is something that we have to understand. When you study out the word propitiation, the word actually in, in those particular times, it was utilized as well. And what God is doing here is he's redeeming this word. And what I mean by that is he's making us understand that in those days when they talked about propitiation, it was had to do with the false gods of those days and what would happen is you had to make some kind of sacrifice and that sacrifice appeased the anger of the God and purchased that God's love did you get that see to the false gods you had you and I had to appease those gods and purchase their love God the father God the son they do something different they come, they appease the anger and the wrath of God by the blood of Jesus, and they do what? They offer us God's love. 
See, we as God's people have to recognize what Jesus has done. On our behalf, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of our salvation. We must, now listen to me now, we must fight the tendency to try and earn favor with God and begin to learn how to trust and obey God by faith in the favor, listen now, (laughs) that we already have with God through our Savior Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. We must fight the tendency to try to earn favor with God and begin to learn how to trust and obey God by faith in the favor we already have with God through our Savior Jesus Christ. You see, we live, I don't know about you, I I can speak about me. And I've had a few conversations with a few other people, so I think some of you might be like this also. But we want to try to earn God's favor. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. Those are good things. You should fast. You should pray. But you should not doing it thinking it makes you more special to God because you did it. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to memorize scripture. You Listen, you do those because those are disciplines as a child of God, and you want to come closer to God. But you have to realize this. Jesus already made a way for you and I to enter into the presence of God. He made a way for us to enter in and enjoy the beauty and the wonder of who God is. And so we have to learn to rest in that reality, which brings me to the third point. Say this with me. Our boasting boasting. is only in Jesus Jesus. and is seen best best. as we live for him. him. Our boasting is only in Jesus and is seen best as we live for him. When we come down to the end of of chapter 3, we see the apostle says this. He says, where is boasting then? Where's boasting? Now remember the diatribe that we talked about last week? The question, answer, question, answer thing that Paul does. He's doing it again here. He said, where's boasting? Why? Because the Jewish mindset again is like, well, well, wait a second. We were boasting before in our, in our heritage. We were boasting in our circumcision. We were boasting in our adherence to the law. We were boasting in the fact that we were Abraham's seed. Remember all those things? They bo- we were boasting in all of that. And Paul is like, where is boasting? And he's like, boasting is not. It is, it, it is only in Jesus. One of the greatest offenses of the gospel message is that we can't boast. It's one of the most offensive things ever. You can't, you can't earn it. You can't, listen, you did nothing for it. As a matter of fact, think about this for a moment. Everything that Jesus did, 100%, that's all him. But can I tell you something else? Every good thing you have, that's all him too. I know you thought you were cute and that's why she looked at you. Listen, listen. I know y'all seen some folks, you're like, uh, you know, you turned your head, right? Uh, you might be that one that somebody's like, uh, you know, see what I'm saying? I'm just saying, let's just keep it real, right? And I know you thought it was because of your success. You thought it was because you're this or that. I know you thought it was because you're such a great employee. You're such a hard worker. You come in early. You stay. I know you want to take credit for all of that stuff, but can I tell you something? The Bible tells in the book of James, every good thing comes from where? From God above, the father of lights. And so here's the deal. The reality is in life and especially in salvation, it is all to boast in Jesus. Our boasting is in Christ and Christ alone. But I love what the apostle goes on to say as he continues here. I got I to pause, y'all. Mm. I love you guys so much, so much. 
If you don't think I love you, just know I love you. <laughs> if there was any, ever any doubt. So where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. By the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man, listen to this, <clears throat> is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That, listen, that verse right there, highlight it. I know, I know we have a memory verse. Highlight that verse. That verse becomes so very important because what you need to understand is there is a contrast. I know this may sound really elementary, but you got to grasp this. Faith is not a work. Are you here? Faith isn't a work. Faith is not a work. It's not a work. Faith is something that we have. It's something that we exercise, but it is not a work because he says what? Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. He goes on and says, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. <clears throat> and so here's what happens. Last verse. Do we then make void the law through faith? See, this, this, is, this is where Paul wraps it up for them. And he's like, listen. There's been a lot of accusations that Paul is saying, just believe, and that means it doesn't matter how you live. That is what Paul is saying. Hey, just believe, rest in this. Listen, he wants you to rest in what Jesus has done, but he wants you to also understand that the law is not like, it, it doesn't not matter. He didn't say that. What Paul goes on to say here, certainly not. Notice the exclamation point. On the contrary, we establish the law. How does he establish the law? Well, first of all, he establishes the righteousness of the law that no one can ever rise up to that standard. That's the first thing he does. We establish the law. We establish the reality that whether you know the law as a Jew or you have the law written in your heart as a Gentile, you cannot live up to the standard of God. You will never live righteous enough. We establish the law. And because we establish the law like that, we also establish in the same thought the reality of how desperately Jesus is needed in order for you to be righteous before God. Are you here? He establishes this clearly, that we need the righteousness of God. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He establishes the law. And like I said, the point is this, our boasting is only in Jesus and is seen best as we live for him. And so here's the thing. I'll close with these thoughts. While faith is not a work, it is an act of the will, which will and must lead us to do good works that reflect genuine faith. Hear me. All talk, no action describes the life of many professing believers. We must become those believers who are more faith in action than faith in talk. Are you here? We must be those people because you know what happens when you are really grateful for what God has done? You live for him. When you're really grateful for what he's done, you live for him. But you understand what? I'm righteous not because of how good I am. I'm righteous because of what Jesus did. I'm righteous because of him. And so my closing question is this. Would you categorize yourself as someone with a growing faith in Jesus? 
Would you categorize your some, your, yourself as someone that has a growing faith in Jesus? That you're growing in him. You're coming to know him better. You're coming to know his promises more clearly. You're coming to trust him more. And you're, I mean, that your faith is growing. And so here are some thoughts. Have you put your faith in him? First of all, I don't know where you're at. Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted him as your savior up front? Have you said, God, I want to live for you and I want to live for your glory? The second thing is, whose faith are you helping grow? See, if you have a growing faith, then that means you're helping someone else's faith grow. That means you're committed to helping other people's faith grow. I mean, that's just a reality that we want to see is what? Is that as we grow in our faith, we want to help the faith of others grow. And I know this much as well that I remember that um, Dr. Eliu Camacho, my wife's uncle, when he came and he preached, he talked about being a person who goes out and shares his faith. He's like, that's where my faith started to grow. When we start sharing our faith, that's when our faith really starts to be put to a test outside of just knowledge here. But us living and sharing that faith. And the last thing is this, is what obstacles to your faith need to be addressed? I don't know what you're struggling with. What areas are you struggling that are hindering your faith from growing? I don't know. What things are you not seeing happen in your life that you're struggling with? What things are you seeing going on in your life that are making you struggle in your faith? Listen, God wants to address all of those things. And you know how we begin to address all of those issues of faith is we come back to its foundation. Faith in Christ because of God's goodwill towards us will help us to live all of our life trusting what God has promised. Amen. So I'll stand on our feet and let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for this day and thank you for the privilege and honor that it is to share your word with your people. And Lord, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to move in our hearts in a special and powerful way. Lord, show us where our faith needs to grow. Show us where our faith is being challenged and Lord God, how we can overcome that today. Father, I pray for anyone in this place that doesn't know you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would draw their hearts unto you and that you would fill them, Lord God, with your power and your spirit. I pray for my brothers and sisters that may be struggling in an area of their faith. God, give them the faith. Give them the ability to overcome, Lord God. Give them the strength to navigate through the difficult and trying waters, Lord God, that they're facing right now. God, give peace in the midst of the storm by your grace, for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. You can be seated where you're at.